With 210 distinct different stories posted this week, we, of course, have to cut off at 11 to talk about the top 10. The number 11 story this week, the cutoff is train carrying corn has massive spill, transformed tracks into a yellow brick road. You can see the pictures of that transformation at our website. This is a conversation.com with the link for this week's podcast. But what we'll discuss today are the top 10 stories. That's 10, not that one, 11 that you said were the tops, despite all the craziness that was impeachment here in the States. These are the stories that you said were the most important and most conversational within the Internet. So what are those 10 stories? We'll talk about them in just a moment here on the Weekly Wrap-Up with Jay Cleveland Payne, brought to you by The Conversation Project, and this is for the week ending January 25th, 2020. And welcome to the show. I am Jay Cleveland Payne. That's been stated. Also stated, it's the name of the show, the weekly wrap-up. This is a part of the Conversation Project, brought to you by thisisaconversation.com. And this is a wrap-up of the top stories, plus a little bit of detail on things that aren't quite so tops that you picked out. Yes, you do the bulk of the work for the Conversation Project. What this thing is, it's a way to figure out what news stories from around the world are the most, and we really mean the most, conversational between regular people. That is, you guys out there. Now, if you happen to be a journalist or happen to be some sort of analyst, we don't care. You're a regular person as long as, or as far as this thing's concerned. And you can join it the same way all the other regular people do. You follow us on our social media. Facebook and Instagram have a handle that is This Is A Conversation. Please make sure we're default in your feed so you see our stuff. And on Twitter, we are TH underscore conversation. As you check your feeds throughout the day for various things, you will see stories we post approximately every 50 minutes from different news sources. Some of them ones you love, some of them ones you may not like very much. Most of them vet it very well. Every so often something sneaks in that's kind of weird. But we have various different news headline stories that we'd like you to read if they're, one, interesting, and two, if you think they are the most interesting, think they are the most conversational, things people really are into, engage with the actual post. That means click on like, click on hate, click on share, talk to us about it if you want to. But the more a story gets engagement for more people, the higher the score it gets, and it gets talked about in the first segment, the top 10 segment, where we count them down 10 to 1, old school Casey Kasem style. In the middle segment, we will go through very quickly the bottom five stories. That are stories number 207 down to 211 this week. So we'll give you a really quick rundown of what's going on and read you a bit more. Go deeper into the story at the bottom. We call it the almost irrelevant story of the week. It's normally something that's posted fairly late in the week, so it doesn't get a lot of love. We'll explain how things racked out this week. And in segment three, we will close things out. Give you some of the background, the nerdy stuff, the numbers behind the week that if you're interested are great. If you're not you know the show's almost over. So the big thing about the Conversation Project is that it is a, a one-man gang for the most part. I do have people that help me in different pieces and different places, but for the most part, I take care of most of the scheduling. I take care of the website. I take care of the podcast from doing all the figures and recording it. I take care of everything in between for the project. So the project is, of course, a laborer. But a labor of love. But that labor does get some help from you guys. We thank you very much. If you want to help out with the effort, you can become a Patreon sponsor by going to thisisaconversation.com slash Patreon. Or buy me a coffee. Just buy me one coffee to get me through the day. That's buymeacoffee.com slash Payne. You can also just 
make sure you are sharing and listening and hanging out with us here in the conversation and click on one of the sponsor links and buy from them every so often we get an affiliate click from those links as you buy things there so you pay the money you're already going to pay and they kick gives a kickback to help things go so right now let's get into the countdown for this week starting with a story that is sitting at number 10 and that story is a continuation of a story we actually carried last week. They'll go with the headline, and it will tell you what the deal is in this one. Our headline we posted on Sunday, the 19th of January, is UFC 246. Conor McGregor caused Dan Blitzerin big after insane bet. The source of this is the New York Post. This story gets a bump in response. That means more people responded to this one than the previous story. That's our cutoff this week at 11 of 2.71%. So what is the deal with the story? Well, last week we actually had the results of the UFC 246 big showdown where Conor McGregor actually won that fight in like 41 seconds over the guy they call Cowboy. This week from New York Post, we have something that came out a few days later, so it got stretched into this week's forecast, and you guys want it in here. I'm going to read it because it's really, really quick, and it's kind of sad and kind of funny. Here we go. It's only pocket change, right, Dan Blitzerin? Ahead of Saturday's UFC showdown between Conor McGregor and Donald Cowboy Cerrone, Blitzerin, who boasts nearly 30 million Instagram followers, revealed he would be putting money on Cerrone, sharing a photo of himself standing next to the massive pile of cash. Putting some pocket change on Cowboy Cerrone, who you got, Blitzerin captioned in an image. Blitzerin took in the fight hours later, in which McGregor knocked out Cerrone 40 seconds into the first round, the Irishman's first rumble in 15 months. Blitzerin seemed addressing the status soon after with a two-word treat. Ha ha, blank, Blitzerin wrote. Though it's unclear how much money Blitzerin wagered, it's been speculated the gamble put $1 million on the line. The gambler put $1 million on the line. The reader, not so great. So bad news for that big gamble. Good news for somebody's pocket, like a, like a loan shark or a betters guy. But a quick and very prime example of putting your money where your mouth is and making sure that your mouth isn't writing a check that your butt can't cash. Apparently, he cashed it, and it looks like it's about a million dollars. Moving on to story number nine this week. This is your headline. 75 highly dangerous inmates escape from Paraguay prison. New York Daily News is the source for this one. We posted this to you guys on Wednesday, the 22nd of January. A bumper response from the number nine, I'm sorry, number 10 story of 1.76%. I'm going to read you a few lines straight from Daily News because this is an interesting, this is a very interesting story. At least 75 inmates, most of whom are members of a violent Brazilian gang, fled from Paraguay's prison over the weekend in a brazen and shocking escape that was led to an international manhunt and the immediate firing of the facility's director, authorities said. Officers investigating the escape Sunday morning found a massive tunnel as well as about 200 bags of earth stashed in the cells. But they believe the tunnel may have been used to cover up complicity by prison officials who may have allowed inmates to simply walk out through the main gate. Quote, it's not possible that nobody saw anything in all this time, Justice Minister Celia Perez told a Paraguay TV station. Most of the inmates are affiliated with Brazil's First Capital Command, a powerful criminal organization that was founded inside a Sao Paulo prison in the 1990s and is involved with drug trafficking, large-scale robberies, kidnapping, and other crimes. The prison they escaped is located in the city of Pedro Juan Calvarito, 
which borders Brazil's central west region. More of the story is in the actual story. More pieces and pictures of the tunnel and the many, many bags of dirt can be found by going to our website, thisisconversation.com. Click on the podcast or link for this week's podcast, which is, of course, the week ending January the 25th, 2020. Uh, if you want to dis- discuss these stories or any stories we have going along, just email us at theconversationinbox at gmail.com. Let's keep things going. Going on to the story now at number eight. Its headline is Casey Musgraves, Kelsey Barini, Decry Country's Radio Unfair Attitude. This story was pulled from USA Today. We posted it to you guys on Friday the 17th of January as well. It gets a bump of response of 2.6% from the number nine story. Here are some lines from USA Today's entertainment section. Casey Musgraves and Kelsey Barini are calling out country music's airwaves. The two musicians used their platforms Thursday to slam discriminative practices that some radio stations employ when it comes to playing female artists. The conversation started on Tuesday when Chris Williams, a features editor at Variety, tweeted, I turned on the 105.1 country station in L.A. just now, and they're playing the new song by Gabby Burnett. And then, without any pause interruption at all, they went into Kelsey Barini's song. Can they get fired for that? In response, Michigan radio station 98KCQ wrote, We cannot play two females back-to-back, not even Lady Annabellum or Little Big Town, against another female. I applaud their courage. The station has since deleted that tweet. The response to the possibly sarcastic tweet from the station racked up tons of response on social media, and it drew the attention of some of the females in question. Musgraves, whose Golden Hour album won the top honors of 2019 Grammys and CMAs, quite literally called bull on the practice. Smells like white male expletive and why long ago I decided they cannot stop me, she wrote on Twitter Thursday. In another tweet, she added, and yet they can play 18 dudes who sound exactly the same back to back. Makes total sense. Ballerini called the idea unfair and incredibly disappointing. Go to the website and read more of this story or just look it up because it got really big really quickly. And in fact, some lashback in the story we actually posted somewhere that didn't make it quite this high uh, says that country music or a CMT itself is going to do a lot more and go to a ranking system, a number system, a quota, if you will. And they're going to make sure that 50% of their artists being played in their video sections are going to be female. So it's going to be literally half and half. More females being played in the videos on CMT. We'll see if that leads to more music being played and more back-to-back women being played on country music. I know my wife is pretty thrilled about this because she is a huge country music fan. And country music fans all along, especially women, are happy that the women are now getting a little extra shot at being on top. This story dives into politics, dives into money, and dives into the world order. Here's your headline. Drug makers slash prices to be eligible for China's bulk buy programs. Reuters is our source for this one. Saturday the 18th of January, our day of posting it. And this story is actually a statistical tie with the story at number eight. So no bump in response, the exact same raw score. But it gets the ranking of seven, the higher ranking, because it was posted later in the week on Saturday as opposed to Friday. So here is a little bit of that story, and we can discuss a little bit on the back end of me reading. Global pharmaceutical majors and generic drug makers chopped by 53% on average prices of some of their off-patent products in the latest bidding round under China's national bulk buy program, government officials said late on Friday. 
Beijing has been pushing forward the program where drug makers have to go through a bidding process and cut prices low enough to be considered over generic copies and will be allowed to sell their products at public hospitals via large volume government procurement. Some global firms such as AstraZeneca and Merck have already cautioned about intensifying price pressures on the mature brands in their world's second largest drug market as China expands the usage of the program. In the latest bidding on Friday that involved 33 drugs and 122 companies, Bayer slashed the prices of his popular diabetes treatment, Ercobos, to 0.18 won, or about 0.0262 per pill, uh, 78% lower than the price ceiling set by the government in December last year, elbowing some Chinese generic providers out of tender, according to Reuters' calculation based on the preliminary results released by the authority overseeing the program. Bear cannot be reached for comment. The story is much, much longer, much more more detailed, and a lot more intricate than just a high-level early parts read. So if you are a person who takes lots of prescription drugs, which I take a, quite a handful myself, this is one that probably chaps your hide a little bit and also lets you understand exactly how, exactly how world economics works. With China having billions of people being into a market like that is a big moneymaker, and undercutting yourself is still going to make up on the extra dollars you get from the extra people getting in. And undercutting yourself down to below generic costs seems like it's crazy, but it isn't so crazy if you're looking to make that buck. So whether you believe in the American greed, the worldwide greed, or the Chinese in their belief that they can kind of rule markets with their big numbers of customers... This is a reality that we will see, and we will see for quite some time. If you want to comment on this one, either for or against, go ahead and email us, being me, at the conversation inbox at gmail.com, and we can discuss it in the emails. This week, the world has become very familiar with something called the coronavirus, and here in the States, we're becoming more familiar with it because we are finding it after a few weeks of it just growing in China. Here's a headline for the story listed at number six. First U.S. case of Wuhan coronavirus confirmed by CDC. Tuesday, the 21st of January, the day we posted this, a bump in response of 19.83% from the number seven story and number eight, by the way. CNN Health is our source for this. This was not updated, but there have been updates on the status of the virus here in the States, which I'll get to in just a second. The United States has its first confirmed case of the new virus that appeared in Wuhan, China last month. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention announced Tuesday the coronavirus has already sickened hundreds and killed six people in Asia. CDC officials said the United States will will be more strict about health screenings of airplane passengers arriving from Wuhan. The patient, who is not being named, is in isolation at Providence Regional Medical Center in Everett, Washington. He is in his 30s and lives in Sohomis County, Washington, just north of Seattle. He had recently returned from Wuhan. He arrived at Seattle-Tacoma International Airport on January 15th for any health screenings for the Wuhan coronavirus began in U.S. airports. He sought medical care on January 19th. The CDC and Washington State are now tracing the people he was in contact with to see if he might have spread disease to someone else. The patient became ill four days after arriving in the United States and sought care. Based on the patient's symptoms and travel history, doctors suspect the, no- the novel Wuhan coronavirus and sent specimens to the CDC in Atlanta were tests confirmed of the virus. The patient is very well, but is still being kept in isolation out of the abundance of caution, health officials said. Now, this was on the 21st, and today, as we record this, is the 25th. So that's been 
four days. Since then, we've had screenings going on in airports and people coming from that region. Uh, China has literally blocked off that region and is building a brand new hospital that they say will be done completely in six days to deal with the people in this region. And we have now, as of this morning, as we record this on Saturday morning, three confirmed cases of this virus. I believe three, at least two. One, the one in Washington, I think another one in Los Angeles, and one in Chicago. So there should be two or three confirmed cases of the virus here in the United States. Those people all being kept quarantine all doing well so far but we will see how things are going i think i believe like 20 people have died in china from the virus so far this is going to be a scary thing of course end times doomsday folks are all up in arms because this may be it but we believe it won't be anything quite as severe as that but is is very very serious china is taking it very serious the united states is taking it serious the world is taking it serious. We will keep you updated on the status of the coronavirus, a new virus that we all will know forever as things progress. Moving on to the story listed at number five this week, it's headline, Juvenile Arrested After Four People Killed in Grantsville, Utah Shooting. Saturday the 18th is the day we posted this one. It gets a bump response from the story at number 6 of 7.04%. This one also comes from USA Today. We'll read you a little bit of what's going on in that story. A boy armed with a gun killed three children and a woman inside a Utah home, then accompanied a fifth victim to a hospital where he was arrested, police said Saturday. Police were still trying to piece together who's who and what happened leading up to the Friday night shooting in Grantsville. Investigators believe the victims are all related to one another, and officials declined to release information about the shooter other than he is a juvenile male. Quote, we're trying to make certain that we verify people's relationship among the deceased and the survivor, Grantsville Police Captain Rhonda Fields told the Associated Press on Saturday. As for motive, we don't have any of that. It appears to be the largest mass shooting in Utah since 2007, where a shotgun-wielding gunman killed five people and himself at Trolley Square Mall in Salt Lake City. It's also the first homicide in nearly 20 years in Grantsville, a town of 11,000 and about 35 miles west of Salt Lake City. So there's a little bit more in there, so you can check out more details on the story, but not much was given as this story is about a week old. It was posted very early, and it wasn't updated till well, it wasn't updated except for one time a day after. So if you're looking for more details on this, go to our website and click the link for our this week's podcast, week ending January 25th, 2020. Click on the link, and you can go start with the story at USA Today and go deeper into it this is something that you are interested in and of course thoughts and prayers go to the family involved here and even to the young man to figure out what exactly was going on in his head the number four story is also a continuation of coverage that's going from last week this week we continue in the saga that is harry sussex i guess that's who he is and and megan sussex who are no longer technically royals because as the headline says Prince Harry, Meghan, to give up Royal Highness titles. Posted on Saturday, the 18th of January, a bump in response from the number five story of 5.26%. This one we pulled off of Yahoo News' site, but it's an AP story, so it's basically the, the, basics, the basic story. Let's read you a little bit of this one and kind of riff on this in a bit. Goodbye, your Royal Highnesses. Hello, life as almost ordinary civilians. Prince Harry and his wife, Meghan, are quitting as working royals and will no longer use the titles Royal Highnesses or Highness or receive public funds for their work under a deal announced Saturday by Buckingham Palace. 
The palace said Harry and Meghan will cease to be working members of the royal family when the news arrangements take new arrangements take place within months in the spring of 2020. They will be known as Harry, Duke of Sussex, and Meghan, Duchess of Sussex. The couple will no longer use the titles His Royal Highness and Her Royal Highness, but they are not being stripped of them. Harry will remain a prince and sixth in line to the British throne. The agreement also calls for Meghan and Harry to repay £2.4 million, which is $3.1 million, in taxpayers' money that was spent renovating their home near Windsor Castle, Fogmore Cottage. The couple's departure is a wrench for the royal family, but Queen Elizabeth II had warm words for them in a statement Saturday. The Queen said she was pleased that the that together we will have found a constructive and supportive way forward for my grandson and his family. Harry, Meghan, and Archie will always be much-loved members of the family. Go deeper into the story, which is um, a deeper story, by going to the website thisattheconversation.com, clicking the link for this week's podcast, and clicking on the link for this story. I call this a continuation because last week we had the story about the Burger King, or at least Burger King in uh, here overseas in Canada and in Argentina, deciding to offer up uh, them jobs because they would need the money. Uh, after that, it basically came down to a conclusion of what was going to happen. They give up the titles. They don't do as many. They do a few royal appearances, but they're not getting paid for them anymore. And they've got to pay back the money they had to do to work on the house, which they get to keep when they're in London because they still need the security but they will start spending more time and most of the time apparently in Canada there you go so what this means for what they're going to do and how they're going to make their living we don't quite know yet but we will definitely see people definitely want to know the story that continues with this still prince and still duchess and so many people are curious that it, it boggles my mind but they are so if you guys keep wanting to see stories like this Make sure you are clicking on Facebook and Twitter when we post the stories and they get the most responses as people love the story of Harry and Meghan. We're not sure if it's time for a passing of any torches, but we are seeing a lot of great talent, younger talent coming up in the world of tennis, especially in women's tennis, which has been dominated by the Venus sisters for so long, which is not quite the case anymore. Headline number three, 15-year-old Coco Golf outs Venus in Aussie Open. USA Today, of course, the source for this one. Monday, the 20th of January, again, where we get this one. This one also a statistical tie with the story before at number four, but it gets the headline, or the higher head, by being posted on Monday as opposed to Saturday. A few lines from this story from USA Today's sports section. Everyone had the same questions when Australian Open draw was revealed. What were the odds that Coco Golf and Venus Williams would face each other again in the first round of the Grand Slam tournament? I was a bit shocked, Golf said. I'm sure everyone was a bit shocked. Golf, 15, played Williams, 39, to begin her first appearance in the main draw at Melbourne Park, just like what happened at Wilmington last year. And just like at the All England Club, the youngest woman in the field got the better of the oldest woman in the field, with golf beating Williams 7-6-5 and and 6-3 on Monday. It was very difficult. She played really well, golf said. I was really nervous. It was the most anticipated match of day one at the first major tennis tournament of the decade, and it did not disappoint. The first set, in particular, was intriguing, with golf repeatedly pulling ahead only to have Williams, who already had won four of her seven Grand Slam single trophies by the time golf was born, rebuff her. 
and you can go deeper into the story that was the actual play by going to the link inside of this podcast. It is amazing watching Venus at 39 do what she's still doing at such a high level. I guess it's amazing watching the older players in basically any sport continue to hold their own against the others as they work towards greater greatness, and then watching the younger players hold their own against the older players as they continue to show how they are ready to achieve. Coco Goff getting her second win against Venus, and uh, as we said, the second time she was the youngest in the draw to get a win over the oldest in the draw, uh, who is uh, not too far back from being a number one, if if she's not close to number one right now, is amazing. Women's tennis is something that you really have to kind of look for because it's not a big major sport, but women's tennis is one of the most intriguing games out there. So if you're into sport itself, I suggest you check out the women's side a lot. There's a lot of storylines there. And let's see just how much longer, how much further Venus Williams and Serena Williams both of them together will keep this thing going because they don't want to give up any of their titles, any of their dreaded road that they've taken on to. So these young girls are going to fight really hard to really take it from them, even though some of the younger ones are doing a pretty good job of putting little, little dents in the armor as they go away. I've been asking for more Facebook love inside of what's going on here, and this is what we have as this story at number two is the top Twitter story. The top Facebook story is going to be number one. We'll go deeper into that in a moment. But this story uh, is an interesting tale of our times, if you will. Best Buy CEO Corey Berry being investigated for alleged misconduct. Saturday, the 18th of January, the day we posted this one, this gets a bump response from the number three story of 26.56%. CNBC is the source on this one. Let's read a little bit for this one before getting to the big one. Best Buy's board is probing allegations that the electronics retailer CEO, Corey Berry, had an inappropriate romantic relationship with another company executive. The board has received an anonymous letter that said Barry's years-long relationship with former Best Buy Senior Vice President Carl Saft before she became CEO in June 2019. Saft did not immediately respond to CNBC for comment. The Electronics Retailers Board retained outside counsel to investigate the allegations. A quote from them, Best Buy takes allegations of misconduct very seriously. We encourage the letter's author to come forward and be part of the confidential process. We will not comment further until the review is is concluded. That's from a spokesperson from the company. A statement from Barry said, The board has my full cooperation and support as it undertakes this review, and I look forward to its resolution in the near term. The allegations were first reported by the Wall Street Journal. So uh, Best Buy has issues with this type of stuff, which is problem number one. Problem number two is both of those comments, both of those statements didn't say nothing was done wrong. So that's the real problem what's going on is they've had the problems going before and it looks like they're continuing to have problems going on. It is not unusual for the offense romance to happen, but on levels like this where really big decisions are made and, of course, a lot of big money is dealt with, People need to know what's happening, what's going on. And so inappropriate relationships, I don't know whether the two are married to other people or just having relationships inside their working dealings that aren't so kosher. We will hopefully find out soon from the investigation what it means for Best Buy as a company going forward. Who knows? They've been able to basically survive this long by just trying to do its best to fight the Amazons and fight the newish things going on and fight the online retailers. But this one, we'll see if this, basically a screw-up, pun intended from the top, will be the screw-up that takes down the actual company. 
And finally, we're at the number one story for this week, and we like to present this with the stats first to give you a big kind of feel what happens with it. This is the number one Facebook story by Leaps and Bounds this week, so thank you, Facebook responders, for jumping on this one. This one is the top story. It is a gets a bump response from the number two story of 269% just that way. It gets a top bump from the number 10 story uh, of 558%. And from the story at the very bottom, we call the almost relevant story this week to 11. It's, it is more responsive by 74,650%. We posted on Wednesday, the 22nd of January, basically hours after it happened. And you guys did not disappoint in jumping on this story. The headline reads, Planters announces Mr. Peanut has died at age 104 ahead of Super Bowl. And that part is the key in this. E is our source. E News is our source for this story. So let me read a little bit and let us chat about it. Mr. Peanut has passed away at the age of 104, Planters announced on Wednesday. It is with heavy hearts that we confirm that Mr. Peanut has died at 104. The announcement posts read, In the ultimate selfless act, he sacrificed himself to save his friends when they needed him most. Please pay respects with hashtag RIP Nut. In an accompanying video, a 2020 Super Bowl pregame ad, Mr. Peanut can be seen driving to the big game in the Nutmobile with his pals, Matt Walsh and Wesley Snipes. During the drive, Walsh sees an armadillo in the road and yells, Ah, look out! To avoid the animal, Mr. Peanut swerves and the Nutmobile goes over a cliff. The three friends are able to abandon their car and grab onto a branch. However, they soon realize we're too heavy after noticing the branch is breaking. Mr. Peanut tips his hat to his friends and lets go. Maybe he'll be all right, Snipe tells Walsh as they watch Mr. Peanut land on his Nutmobile. However, seconds later, Nutmobile explodes as Snipes declares, maybe not. According to a press release, that ad will play during the Super Bowl pregame show. Then during the third quarter of the game, the brand's official commercial will air, broadcasting Mr. Peanut's funeral. Of course, the Super Bowl for 2020 kicks off in Miami on Sunday, February the 2nd. So RIP Mr. Peanut... They say he did. Well, of course, that means he's going to do something for a big grand commercial in the Super Bowl. We will actually see what's going on. Is this crazy or is this brilliant? Well, I think it's brilliant. As I said, this was a, by overwhelming numbers, a big story posted on Facebook and was shared by many, many people who followed the conversation on Facebook. So this had a lot of people talking across our internets and the internets in general. So it's a big deal. And, of course, we are now about a week, yeah, a week away from the Super Bowl. So the hype for the hype, for the commercial part of the hype, has already begun. We've seen pre-commercials for many different brands. I saw one for Snickers just the other day that I didn't quite understand. And other ones are popping up here and there. And so the spectacle that is the commercial game for the Super Bowl is getting started. Of course, the real game is a whole other spectacle. And, of course, the Puppy Bowl, it's another spectacle in its in its own. But this is going to be big. I think Mr. Peanut, in the prequel of this, and you know, releasing it so early so people are talking about it, is going to be a great cue for people looking for Mr. Peanut. Although, Planner's Peanuts is a fairly staple, a fairly good staple of snacks, so I don't think it's losing any money. But it does have to be in the game to play, so they're in the game to play. We'll see what they come up with officially in about a week for Super Bowl, the Super Bowl in 2020, which I think is 20 is L I V, whatever that number is, 26 or four or something like that. 
I don't know Roman numerals, but I do know the newscast, and this newscast is done. And we thank you so much for doing the work for getting it done so that I could read you all these stories. And it's simple to get in more work if you don't think the story's meshed up or you want to make sure more stories like this come in. Follow us on social media. Follow us on Twitter at TH underscore conversation. Follow us on Facebook at This is the Conversation. Instagram as well. As we post stories every 50 minutes on the social media, you just engage with the stories. Like them, love them, hate them, share them. The more you engage with a story just as you're checking your feed, the higher the score goes up. And then you too can be responsible for Mr. Peanut being the top-ranking story this week. So what stories are at the very, very, very bottom? We'll talk about those in mere moments here on the Weekly Wrap-Up with Jay Cleveland Payne. This is for the week ending January the 25th, 2020. I have been using Blinkist for, I believe, three years. It's an awesome app that allows you to catch up on all the great books that you don't think you have time for. Non-fiction books are put into what are called Blinks. They're summaries that are the wrap-up of the main points of the book. So you can read a 300-page self-help book in literally 15 to 20 minutes based on how they're broken down. Or you can have them be read to you. How about that? Three books I worked through in literally a day this week include If You're So Smart, Why Aren't You Happy? How to Turn Career Success into Life Life Success, Objections, The Ultimate Guide to Mastering the Art and Science of Getting Past No, and The Consultant's Handbook, which is a practical guide to delivering high-value and differentiated services in a competitive marketplace. What does that mean? That means in about an hour or so, I was able to go through three different books on careers and work and get a lot of great information from them and actually digest it and go forth and use it. And I did that because I had the Blinkist app. Now, if you're listening to the podcast via the website, This Is Conversation, just click the link right at the bottom of this post or go to thisisaconversation.com slash Blinkist for a great way to get this app and give us a little help as well. Remember, the Conversation Project is powered by you. So you can either become a Patreon sponsor. That's by going to patreon.com slash thisisaconversation. You can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash Payne, Or it's simple. Just do what you're going to do. Use the apps and use the services that we have and get the affiliate money coming our way. Just a little chip off for us. And the affiliate that we are definitely spotlighting because we love them is Blinkist. So if you have a need to get more books into your noggin, Blinkist will help you out immediately. Go for and download the app for free at thisistheconversation.com slash Blinkist. That is thisistheconversation.com slash Blinkist. And get your trial of this great app and get caught up in those books right now. They'll help you out. They are called Blinkist. So this is the bottom five, including the almost irrelevant story of the week. Not much context unless it's really, really, really good story. Uh, So that's how we're going to roll this. You'll basically see how far, far, far away it was from the top story and we'll let you go check them out on your own all these links to these stories as well listed at this is look for the story for the podcast for this week which is the week ending january 25th 2020 
Let's go ahead and get this thing started. Number 207 this week, the story headline is, A Good Samaritan Found $27,000 Outside a Credit Union and Turned It In. Uh, we posted that on Thursday, the 23rd of January. It is less responsive than number one by 7,768%. We had a story last week that was in one of the daily postings, the eight things to talk about, but didn't make the top 10 or bottom five, obviously, about a person who found money in a couch at a donation store and turned it in, and they were happy about it. This is another story of a person finding money and turning it in and them being apparently happy about it. Uh, here's the really cool thing about that story, the, the couch story last week, was someone replied that they actually had a family member who found money in an old couch someplace, tried to do the good thing, turn it in, and they were told it was drug money. So sometimes things just turn out that way, I guess. Not in these cases. Apparently the people were very happy to have their money back, and it was honest earned money, not drug money. You may have to click the link to go deeper into the story at 208. This story was 8,205% less responsive than number one. And we posted on Friday, the 24th of January. So it was posted very early in the morning as we worked on this thing. The other one posted very late in the evening on Thursday before. Uh, and this is the headline, Doomsday Clock Moves Closer to Midnight, the closest we've seen to destroying our world. And I have a hard time understanding the Doomsday Clock aspect because it's not like we're actually counting down a clock but i believe it's at 100 seconds to midnight where it is now and so it's closer to us being close enough to blow ourselves up somehow the the actual way of the world being destroyed is not necessarily listed in the clock but to go understand how they come up with this and why it is important or why you may think it's not important and people are just wasting their times you may have to go to the website and click the link for this or search for it on your own now, 209 is my favorite story of the week, and I found this uh, posted by one of my personal friends' Facebook posts, and it was something I checked out. It's an actual story from actual newspaper, so we had we had to we had to do it. Yes, it was late, so I didn't have much time to gain, and maybe you didn't get it uh, get into as funny as think as funny as I did. But it was 9,224 percent less responsive than the number one story. The headline is San Jose. Furries pulled a salter out of a vehicle, sat on him. Friday, the 24th of January, this was posted, and it's just as the headline says, some some furries saw someone being attacked in, in a car, and so they went to the car, pulled the dude out, and sat on him until authorities got there. There are more details than that, but that's basically all you need to know. If you want to see exactly why this was such an interesting story, uh, go check it out and read it for yourself. Now, the story at number to 10 is HPV puts strain on sex and dating. Monday, the 20th of January is the date we posted this one. So this one had a little time to actually gain some momentum, and it didn't. 49,733% less responsive than the number one story, and it is uh, something that's been a trend that we've been seeing in stories along the line. There was an interesting discussion on a podcast I listened to about the fact that uh, the birth rate in the United States is down, and apparently millennials aren't having sex. They literally are not having as much sex as older generations, which is partially why the birth rate is down, but just other issues as well. You want to go deeper diving into that situation, this is a story that helps you get go into that one, and it is the almost, almost relevant story of the week. But the story at the very bottom is what we call the almost relevant story of the week. It's usually something that's something posted very late or in something that might be important but doesn't have time to really gather traction. This is one that might be a bit more important than it, its status is, 
but it was posted on Friday the 17th, so it had plenty of time to gain some traction. And as we said earlier, 74,650% less responsive than number one. The headline, Facebook backs off controversial plan to sell ads in WhatsApp. We will read you some of this one because it gets a little bit of extra you know, pizzazz for being at the very, very bottom. We pulled it from The Verge, so here is their write-up on that issue. Facebook is backing away, that's in quotes, from earlier plans to sell ads on for placement inside its enormously popular WhatsApp messaging service. According to the Wall Street Journal, the team that had been working on building ads into WhatsApp was disbanded in recent months with their work subsequently, quote, deleted from WhatsApp's code. The journal notes that Facebook still ultimately aims to integrate ads into WhatsApp's status feature, but for now, the app will remain ad-free. The company's desire to monetize WhatsApp, which is which is acquired for $22 billion in 2014, is part of what drove WhatsApp co-founder Jan Cohn out of Facebook in 2018. His fellow co-founder, Brian Atkin, left months earlier, quote, over similar clashes related to privacy and targeting advertising, unquote, and has been a vocal critic of Facebook's unchecked power since his departure. The advertising setback has led Facebook to instead focus on WhatsApp features that will, quote, allow businesses to communicate with customers and organize their contacts, unquote. A lot of quote unquotes there. Comb and Acton were reportedly concerned that a commercial messaging feature would force WhatsApp to weaken its end-to-end encryption like my reading is, is weakened. But this was all before Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg announced plans last year to gradually shift away from public posts in favor of unified encrypted messaging systems across Facebook, WhatsApp, and Instagram. As the company is now discovering, bringing ads to an encrypted system service comes with challenges. So, if you were not a fan of the plan to put the ads on WhatsApp, you know it's not going to happen anytime soon. But because Mark needs to make some money on his really, really big companies that don't make any money, ads are the way to go. They're cheap. They're, you know, they're kind of godish, but they, they work out. And in a moment, we'll work out the figures of the errors, omissions, anything to work out in stats for news nerds. Or something like that. We're still working on a name for that. But we'll talk about numbers in just a moment here on the Weekly Wrap-Up with Jay Cliff and Payne for the week ending January 25th, 2020. Dateline NBC. 2020 Investigates. CBS's 48 Hours. All the big three networks know how to pull in numbers on slow nights, Fridays and Saturdays, by putting on true crime documentary-style stories. And some actual cable networks are built around this, and many people follow the true crime genre of podcasting. It's easy to find a crime story that you like and go deeper into detail and tell the stories as you would like them to be told. This is a true crime podcast that is an interesting one, called True Consequences Podcast. You can find it at trueconsequences.com and basically wherever your pods are cast and Facebook and Twitter as well. What makes True Consequences Podcast interesting is it's focused. True crime, yes. But true crime and mystery that's focused on New Mexico and the desert in southwest Albuquerque in particular. What is really interesting is the person behind this one. His name is Eric Carter Landon. 
He was born and raised in New Mexico, and he was five in 1985, and that was when his brother was murdered, and the killer was never prosecuted for that crime. And he created, that being um, Eric, created this podcast, True Consequences, which focuses on crime in New Mexico because his brother's case was never actually fully adjudicated, never fully never fully taken care of. And so there's other, many other unsolved stories and unresolved cases in the area. So he gives them some love and some light to the world. And they're very great stories and very well put together stories. And yes, while you may think it's cliche to think, you know, people dying in the desert is a bit overdone. This one is not. You'll find very unique and very, like I said, interesting stories about people and untold stories, not quite completed investigations and things that go on in the New Mexico desert. So if you're looking for a new true crime story to get into, or if you have not really delved into what true crime gives you in a podcast form, check out this podcast. It is called True Consequences Podcast. As he said, as I say, it focuses on true crime stories out in New Mexico, out in the desert there, but it gives it a special flavor, a special different type of design as it comes out. And as I often say, doing my podcast is a labor and labor of love. I'm sure for Eric, this is a labor and a labor of hope and a way to sort of kind of resolve what happened in his life. So check it out. It is called True Consequences Podcast. You can click on the link below if you're listening to this on the website or just go to trueconsequences.com or find them on Facebook and Twitter as well. The Conversation Project likes to spotlight podcasters doing things that should be talked about. This week, we're spotlighting this great podcast you really should take a listen to called True Consequences Podcast. No real errors or omissions to talk about, but this was a week where we didn't say up front we had the two ties that were in there. The ties being the stories listed at number eight and seven, the drug the drug prices in China and Casey Musgraves and Kelsey Barini, and the stories listed at three and four, which are the 15-year-old Coco Golf and Venus Williams playing in tennis and Prince Harry and, and Duchess Meghan giving up the royal titles. And that's because I didn't really pay attention to them with all the new numbers and things we were doing. So it was a late start to doing this thing and getting everything rolling. So it's it's a new sort of schedule getting it done. As I have said, we're recording this not on the Friday, but on the Saturday of the actual date that we're releasing this. So we still cut it off Friday morning, early morning, so we can go through all of the stats as normal and then take care of all the early pieces. But unfortunately now, because of scheduling, recording it is not going to be done until as early as Friday evening, as you, but probably more likely Saturday morning. So you won't get this until Saturday mornings, unfortunately. So we didn't notice that, or I didn't notice that in all my numbers. I just looked at straight up at the raw scores that came through. And, of course, the tiebreaker for stories with the ties are the younger one goes first, and that's how that worked out. Now, I have been talking about uh, responses on Facebook and needing more responses. This week, you guys jumped at it. We'll see if it extends for another week. And that Mr. Peanut story was a pretty big story. 34% of the responses, 34.36, came from the Facebook this week, while 65.64 came from the Twitter. So there's still plenty of Twitter love, but a big burst in Facebook love 
this week. And oh, by the way, the number one story had took up 34.45% of the engagement this week. That's how many people were engaged with that one based on the entirety of the 211. The top 10 stories took up 93% of all the engagement, 93.57, so 94% essentially. The bottom five stories, only 1.34%. With the numbers given and the errors talked about, we are done with the show for this week. Don't forget the Conversation Project is powered by you in many ways. This podcast and the actual stats we get to use every single day is powered by you replying, responding, just being engaging with the stories you put out every 50 minutes on social media. Facebook and Instagram, look for This is a Conversation. And for Twitter, TH underscore conversation. Of course, we produce four days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, the eight things to talk about newsletter will tell you about the previous days and what stories were the most engaging there. You can subscribe to that by going to our website, thisistheconversation.com, of course. You can also keep things powered by powering us keeping things going keeping the lights on if you will if you go to our website there are links for you can buy me a coffee you can also become a patreon responder patreon respondent patreon patron one of those things and you can become a monthly sponsor to help keep this thing going if you think we're giving great value to you in the podcast form and in the newsletter form just wait till you see the other projects we have coming up and your support is greatly greatly appreciated go to this is conversation.com slash patreon Go to buymeacoffee.com slash jcleavenpain. Those are ways you can sponsor us directly. You can also just click on any single ad that we have inside of our website, inside our newsletters, inside anything we send out. And you can check out this week's Spotlight sponsor, which is Blinkist. And you can also catch up on those books you haven't read so far. This is conversation.com slash Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, and get your shot at this free app. We also want to make sure you're checking out and talking about other things along the lines of just news and the commentary we have here, but commentary from other podcasters. So True Consequences podcast this week done by Eric Carter Landon, and it focuses on true crime in the New Mexico desert. It is a very interesting listen, and you should check it out immediately. Look for trueconsequences.com and find out just what you've been missing from this great podcast we're spotlighting this week. Of course, we're glad you're on this podcast, but we need more people, and we're going to put you to work one more time to help spread the word and love of the podcast. Number one, make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss out on a single weekly episode. And number two, share it with the world. Share it with your friends, share it with your enemies, share it with random strangers on the street. We ask you to just go out one day and watch people on their phones, take their phones from them, subscribe to the podcast, hand it back to them, and then keep on moving because you've got a lot of work to do. And just don't worry. They're, they're shouting great things to you. You don't have to sit and listen to the full conversation. They, they have things to do. You have things to do. Keep on subscribing, folks, because we need that going on. And, of course, I have to thank you for listening and being here for the podcast thank you very very much for allowing me to my nerd obsession of being a newsie to continue throughout the life even though i'm at this point beyond delivering news on a day-to-day basis people still need more news and better news and news that's not quite the headline breaking news on the chirons that gets a little boring and stale so i'm glad you agree i'm glad you are listening glad you're contributing and glad to have you on the team if you have any questions, concerns, or problems, email us at theconversationinbox at gmail.com and be here next week. We're going to do it again. Count down the top 10 stories and the bottom five stories that are picked by not me, not by a news director, not by President Trump, but by you. 
the folks out there having the best conversations in the world. Thank you so much for tuning in to the weekly wrap up with Jay Cleveland Payne from the Conversation Project at thisistheconversation.com. <laughs>